0: Well, after three weeks since the last episode on the Hard Yards, we are back in business. My apologies for all those listeners out there, and thank you for those of you who have messaged me to ask who is on next, and when will it be on, so they, as they look forward to the weekly episodes, I was dealing with some minor family health issues a couple of weeks ago, and then last week, I was away on Fraser Island shark fishing with a bunch of mates, so I was definitely preoccupied last week. I have to say too, if uh, during this COVID time you're chasing a holiday destination while you're stuck here in Queensland, Fraser Island is unbelievable and well worth a visit. Anyway, we are back and as we run towards the finals footy time of year here in Australia, what better time to catch up with one of the up and coming young stars who's about to embark on another final series in the AFL. There's also an added carrot of the big dance being held at the Gabba this year, And with the Brisbane Lions having such a fantastic record, how exciting would it be to see the Lions all the way through the GF? My guest this week is very quickly becoming a key member of the side and will be an integral part of the final success that the Lions will hopefully have this year. Without further ado, it's my pleasure to welcome to the Hard Yards for episode number 18, Hugh McCluggage from the Brisbane Lions. Welcome, Hugh, and thanks so much for coming on the show, mate.
1: Thanks, Marty. It's a pleasure to be on.
0: Mate, why don't we start with how is COVID and the bubble in the AFL treating you and what's it been like for, you know, compared to a a normal, regular AFL season? And, you know, has it been much different given that you're a Brisbane Lions player and we are seeing a lot of AFL played in Queensland. So just talk us through what that's been like for you this year, mate.
1: Uh, Yeah, it's been, it's been quite different. Um, Obviously, people probably think that because we're playing in Queensland, we've we've got it a little bit easier, or things are normal. But we're still living in the bubble, um, restrictions and protocols, which is which is pretty tight. And you're not you're not leaving your home very often. We're allowed to play golf, which is which I love. Um, it's yeah. big for me and a lot of the boys. We're allowed to go get takeaway food, go train, but other than that, it's about it. Not allowed to go anywhere. Um, no, sort of on the long weekends or anything like that, you're not allowed to go for trips. So, yeah, it's been a lot different um, and probably just being able to be adaptable has been a key part of it because a lot of the time we haven't even known where the next few games are, are going to be or where they're going to be and we've been up in Sydney to hub. We've been back here a little bit. So, it's, it's been flat out for us and, yeah, it's probably been a bit crazier even for the teams that aren't from Queensland but um, I can only speak on our behalf and it's been a lot different
0: what about you what about your um living environment uh direct living environment when you are here in brisbane um because obviously if you're living with people i i don't know your living situation you might be living with some of the lions boys but um if you're not and you're living with you know family members who are then going off to work or, or whatever yeah. How does that play out? Because you would feel like, okay, well, they're out in their office space or wherever they might be doing their normal job and then coming back into the house. And that kind of feels like it's breaking the bubble a little bit.
1: Yeah, I live with a few of the boys like you touched on. Um, So I haven't had to deal with that. But I know that they have been briefed, all the partners, all the families, everyone that lives with the players on on the protocols as well. And they're being told to as much as possible stick to them. Um, Yeah. they're still going to work and um, still got to go about their daily lives and make a, make a living, but they've got to be careful as well. A lot of partners can't go out and socialise um, like they would normally. So I could imagine that's been very tough for the boys that have families and, um, yeah, have, have partners that are quite active on the social scene or at work or whatever it may be. Um, yeah, so it must, it must be very difficult for them. It's
0: making it a long, long season for them as well, I guess. And and guys like Luke Hodge, who I believe is still, um, you know, a part of the Brisbane Lions set up, but because he's working in the TV side of things, he's got to, he, he, he sort of had to make a decision to sort of stay in the TV side and, and not come into the Lions bubble.
1: Yeah, it was quite funny. He was all pre-season and even when COVID started, he was in our bubble so he could come to training and whatnot. And then... The moment, the moment he decided um, that he was going to leave, he, he was just thrown out. We couldn't see him again. <laughs> I think he went straight to the golf course and, and <laughs> had a round because at that time we weren't allowed to play. And, and from that point on, we really we have Zoom calls with him every now and then um, yep. as a leadership group. And he still tries to help us out where possible. But yeah, now the only time we see him is out in the field. Uh, yeah, on up. the sideline. Yeah. yeah.
0: After, or, or interviewing you after the game. Yeah. yeah, that's awesome. Oh, it's awesome that he's still able to, you know, connect in with the squad um from a Zoom perspective and you know, because I think he was a he, he was a, a great part of the squad um for the time that he was playing on the field and um yeah, I guess I guess now with Harris Andrews out for a few weeks it'd be nice to have him in the back line there, wouldn't it? Just as the uh super sub?
1: 100 percent He's his ladyship. Um and even in the finals last year, his ability to stand up in the big moments was unbelievable. And yeah, Even though he's not there, he's definitely taught us a lot. And I think we're starting to show that in the close games, which has been good. But like you said, it, it's always handy having pop back in every now and then and just give you a nice little reminder of a few things that are happening and yeah, how you can make get the most out of yourself and the team in, in these big games.
0: Does he ever yell anything at you from this, from his little seat on the sideline as a boundary rider, mate? Huey, Huey, push over there.
1: He's <laughs> nah, got to be neutral, I think, as a. As, <laughs> oh, mate, uh, he's just
0: got to have his mic off, and you know, <laughs> I can imagine that must be difficult. You know, as a, um, you know, as a commentator there who's got a got an interest in the club, such an interest in the club. When he sees something that, you know, how does he sit there and not actually, you know, open his lungs up to yell out?
1: Yeah, I don't know. I think when he when he gets into the Zoom calls on a Monday morning um, in the leadership meeting, that that's his time to keep <laughs> people. Hey, who's
0: who's a part of the le- leadership group at the moment, and is that something that you aspire to, mate? Uh, yes,
1: yeah, so we got um, Harris Andrews. We've actually got a pretty big leadership um, group this year. We have got Harris as vice captain, Zorks captain. Um, who else have we got? And then there's a, probably like four or five of us that are that are in there as well. Um, Darce Gardner, um, Froggy Lester. Yeah, it, it was quite a big group. I think they're they just could. trying to get a lot of different boys in there to um, teach, especially younger boys, just to get them a taste of it and being able to sit in, the, in on those meetings and listen to the way that the older guys and even the coaches and the, and the GM look at it. and um, yeah, it's really beneficial, I think, for for our games on the field and for our leadership off it.
0: Speaking of younger boys, you had a debutante on the weekend who played against the Pies. It's probably not much bigger game than playing against the
1: mm. the
0: Magpies who the Lions have knocked off in a couple of Premiership grand final matches. But um, pretty special time, I imagine, to, to make your debut and to do it at the Gabba in front of you know what seems like a pretty raucous pretty raucous crowd there's not many not as many in there as what you might normally have but it seems like the ones that are coming in are making some noise yeah
1: Yeah, definitely it's the occasion um more than anything a friday night game um yeah like you said a very loud crowd and i thought kitty came in and just did unbelievably well He, he was so composed and his pressure was really good in the first half and we saw glimpses, I mean that handball he did over his head at yeah. one stage. He looks talented. That's the sort of stuff he does week in, week out. Um, that not many players, if any, can can do at the club and in the league. So I think he's gonna be really exciting to watch for quite a long time and he's a he's a ripper young kid too.
0: Yeah. Ah, oh, look, it was almost like um I mean there's you know, he's, he, we can't probably compare him to Charlie Cameron yet, but it just was like there was two Charlie Camerons running around. It was brilliant.
1: Yeah, he he's awesome. He um he's got a, a lot to learn still, but yeah, yeah that raw talent that he's got, um, yeah, he he brings that energy as well to the group. It's it's a great thing about having debutants. They they bring yeah. an extra bit of energy when your team might be a little bit flat or you've come off a short turnaround to have someone come in and and play their first game you just get that instant um, excitement and, and lift i think which is which is great and was big for us on the weekend
0: especially if they managed to kick a goal too and i think yeah. debutant a couple of weeks ago managed to to kick one and be a you know huge goal assist as well in the same in the same sort of space of time mm. and, yeah uh, that's a huge lift
1: it's one of the more exciting moments i reckon on the field when play kicks his first goal i remember yeah one that sticks in my mind is Matty Eagles. Oh, yes. A few years back when he kicked that banana, he just played a pretty good game and we got a win. And um, Yeah, that was probably one of the best moments at the Gabba that I've been a part of.
0: He seems to be a massive crowd favourite. Every time he gets a-, a Guernsey and he gets anywhere near the ball, the crowd just rises at the Gabba for
1: him. Yeah, they absolutely love him. Is it there Cole- yeah, oh, i I think it's the story. Everyone loves the yeah. the story of an underdog that um amazing. did it pretty tough and made it made it a different way. So, and the f- fact he's been on this list for three years and play ten to ten to twenty games has been pretty pretty amazing.
0: Yeah, it's awesome. Speaking of the story, what's your story, mate? Where fill us in a little bit on on you and where you grew up and you know um. Tell us a little bit about your early days as a young fellow running around.
1: Yeah, so I grew up down southwest Victoria uh, on a dairy farm in a place called Naringal, which is just outside of Warrnambool, which is a, a coastal town there, about 40,000 people. So not too remote, but um, about tw- yeah, 20 or 30 minutes out of there, uh, which I absolutely love. growing up on the farm. Plenty of space. Uh, Mum and Dad, Mum worked... Part time as a nurse and helped dad out as well. Um, yeah, dad. Dad sort of started from the bottom with quite a small farm. He, he's old man also farm just up the road, but yeah, right. he slowly built that into it a nice business now. That yeah, he, he's got about he walks about six hundred cows and so he's still got, got the work. business. Pardon?
0: He's still got the business. Yeah, he's still, still got, got,
1: got it. Absolutely loves it. I don't yeah, think he'll ever, ever leave. Um, yeah, so grew up there, and dad was big sportsman in the, well, for the local teams in Warrnambool, and played footy there and cricket. So I grew up, as most kids do, heading to the footy each each winter's Saturday and heading to the cricket each summer um, weekend. So I absolutely loved that. And um, from there, I uh, I went to school in Warrnambool till year ten, and then I decided my decision to move to boarding school. Um, okay. Probably,
0: was that was that schooling related or sport
1: related? That was more academic. Yep. well Ballarat, where I moved, is known for its schools and has the private schools. Whereas Warrnambool didn't really have that; they had more public schools. Um, so a lot of people do move away from Warrnambool and go either Geelong or Ballarat. Yeah. Um. Yeah. And at the time, I probably I was quite a small kid pretty underdeveloped, So the sporting side of it and the footy side of it wasn't, I mean, I was a um, handy footballer and a handy cricketer, but yeah, I went up there for my schooling. I, I had a strong, well, my whole family had a strong em- emphasis on the academic side of things and making sure that if that was the path I wanted to go down, I, I gave it my best shot. So I headed there and yeah, it all sort of fell into place once I got there You know, in terms of making the Rebels squad, which is based in the TSC Cup yep. team, which is based in Ballarat. Um, making that and enjoying school after a while it took a bit. But, yeah, that that all sort of clicked. And, yeah, here I am so now. You,
0: when did you make the decision sort of what, what age was it? Was it that sort of age where you decided that it was going to have a bit of a crack at footy or were you still, you know, playing cricket pretty serious as well? Or
1: Yeah so they do a 16s comp before I moved away to school which is you play about three games against TSC Cup teams for North Ballarat and I remember I had a just a terrible carnival um, I was quite a nervous kid as well so coming off a farm I, I wasn't really used to meeting people. all these good footballers <laughs> and, yeah all the people and I remember Jared Berry was he was the star of the star of the show at that age he was a big kid and Um, very dominant I remember him like I'd never met him before but yeah he stood out to me as one of the big scary kids and um, yeah after that after that carnival I wasn't quite sure whether it was for me and had a few conversations with my parents about you know because you used to do training in the summer which obviously clashed with cricket and I I love my cricket as well and it all just got a a bit much at a point but uh, there was a guy called Alan Thompson and he he just said, mate, just stick at it. Like You can just come to training once a week and you may as well because you, you never know. <laughs> There's a lot more opportunity in footy and cricket was never really going to be a professional thing for me. I just love playing it. So yeah. I ended up just sticking with it, trained once a week in the underage um, TAC Cup pre-season and then I moved to school and, and met Bez and realised that he wasn't as scary as he looked and you know, people, people away were actually wanted to help you um, achieve things. And that was a real turning point for mine. Um, as much as it was quite tough going to boarding school, <clears throat> meeting with all the different people and all the different coaches, all the different teachers, having to use your social skills and, and develop them, um, gave me the confidence to, to go to the rebels trainings and, um, yeah, really make the most of the opportunities that I, or that I guess my sporting talent gave me.
0: Did you ever have weather times when you just wanted to get back to the farm and, mate, this is way too hard for
1: me? 100%. Not the first one I two terms at school, a lot of kids that go to boarding school, I'm sure, would say it, but you miss everything about home, even though I was only two hours away. You yeah. see all the birthdays and you see all the crystal, all the um, celebrations throughout the year that you're missing out on. And I'm quite a strong family um, where we all celebrate everything together. So there was some tough times for sure. But like I said, I I just wouldn't have got the opportunities that I got if I was still in Warrnambool. There's, There's boys that go to school in Warrnambool that have to travel two hours on a bus every Thursday to get the Rebels training, miss school, go back and then have to travel, spend the whole weekends going to Melbourne, which is three hours, or Ballarat, which is two to play. Um, and I just, inside, I knew that as tough as it was, it was all going to be worth it because I was getting a good shot at both um, finishing school with a good score and and possibly being able to take my footy career further.
0: You spoke then about how close-knit your family is and how's that been? I imagine, and this is just me thinking on the spot here, but... I imagine that, you know, when you play footy for the Lions over the past few years and you play in Melbourne and you, you, you play your Southern games, that the family would have got along to watch you play some games. That must yeah. be a bit different this year because you're not really getting to connect with them at all um, in person. So they're not getting to come and watch you play games due to COVID. And how, yeah. they, how are they dealing in, and you guys as a family dealing with the COVID, I guess, uh, separation from a family who's living in Victoria versus you up here?
1: Yeah, it's definitely been pretty tough. Uh, I think for everyone, a lot of the a lot of the boys that play have, have moved up here or are up here and segregated from the families. I think the Lions have a chat with all the parents in it and mum reckons that everyone's starting to get a bit, um, bit keen to get up here and see, see all their boys. But yeah. it is what it is. I just look at it like we're very lucky to be in a position where we've still got our jobs. There's lots of people in Victoria that don't even have that. Um, And if it means that we can't see our families for maybe a year or or two or whatever it may be, it'll all be worth it because yeah, we're getting to do what we love and we're also, I think putting a smile on people's faces during the time on the weekends and and when we can play and um, when we can get wins as well, it it makes it extra special for for the Lions supporters, I think.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I think you've, Hit the nail on the head there. I think a lot of people, um, you. Know, I mean, there's certainly from a negative side of things. I think there's people who would question why is sport still happening and why are these guys still playing sport. But you know, I've had that discussion with a few people and said, well, you know what? If they're not, they're not, they're not working either. And this is your job. It just happens to be that you're playing sport. And I said, but there's also all the people who have jobs working in stadiums and and within the. Yeah within the code, um, that wouldn't have work either if sport wasn't happening. And like you say, I think just the difficulty of the year, um, I agree, you know, as, as a sport watcher and a lover of watching the lions, I can't wait for every weekend's game to come around and just to be able to clock out of the difficulty of what COVID's presented this year, um, for a couple of hours and watch your footy team run around Mm -hmm. is, um, yeah, it's a cool thing. So I'm grateful, as as many others are, I'm sure. So, mate, um, let's fast forward into, you know, you, you you've obviously been playing in the TAC and and in the TAC Cup, and uh, and then I guess you get wind of the fact that you're going in the draft. Talk me through how that happens, and or do you have to nominate for the draft? How does that play
1: out? Yeah, so. There was a thing, halfway through my bottom age year, so you play bottom age and then top age 18s and then hopefully get drafted at the end of that. During the bottom age year, they have a thing called, or well, they used to have it called the AFL Academy, which is about 40 or 30 or 40 of the best young kids in Australia that get the opportunity to do a few weeks away. And um, I remember I had a game at Ballarat where Phil Partington, their talent manager, came in before the game and said, Mate, don't want to put too much pressure on you, but <laughs> you've got Sando, who was a coach, um, Brent Sanderson from Collingwood, he is now, but he was a coach at the time, and um, Shifter Sheen, all those guys here to watch. Um, they, they've had an eye on you, and yeah, they're looking at putting you putting you into the academy. So play a good one. Um, <laughs> that was the first moment that I really even thought like this is a chance, because before that I was just enjoying playing. TAC Cup, which I'd always, not always wanted to do, but I, I found really exciting. Um, and then after that, it all just, just went so quickly. You, you play a few games of the academy, you play a few big games over age or top age, and yeah, all of a sudden you're at draft night, um, which which you get. I think everyone enrolls in it that plays in the TAC Cup just in case.
0: Yeah, sure.
1: You get there and um, and so did you know.
0: Did you know? As you get to draft night, had you had the lines spoken to you? Was there whispers? Did you you kind of have a did any? any other clubs talk to you and say, "Hey, look, you know, we're looking at you know drafting you"?
1: Yeah, usually they keep their cards pretty close to their yeah. Yes, um, I knew that it was probably either going to be Essendon or Brisbane. Yep. Just because I hadn't really spoken to the team that had the pick, uh, the second pick, which was the Giants, and um, i have spoken to Brisbane a few times and
0: Essam as well
1: and they were all um, well they all seemed quite uh, quite keen so I was pretty lucky because I was one of the ones that knew it was either going to be one of two spots whereas someone like Jared he might he had no idea so he, he thought he might yeah, have right. gone to coast Perth um, when, was,
0: when was Jared? Was it, was it a year apart or same year?
1: Same year, he was picked 17 I think, so we okay. both went half night and i got picked
0: fascinating up. there's that big guy that was you know dominated that carnival and yeah. you've you've uh, I, I suppose you've needled him about that over the years
1: yeah it's pretty crazy to see how it's all worked out we followed pretty i mean after that point we followed pretty similar trajectories in our careers yeah, but for sure he yeah he was there as well and i'd become really close with him by that point and our families have become close and it was honestly when i got picked up it was a it's a bit of shock, like you got the cameras there and you, yeah. you're so excited. But um, when when I was in the back room and I was on my phone scrolling through, just seeing the pics rolled through and I saw his name pop up, it was honestly one of the best, best moments of my life to have someone so <clears throat> that I'd become good. really good mates with, move up here. It just made it so, so much easier for me and my family.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. I think that's something that the Lions... You know, in the years gone by, they've, as you know, keen um, follower of the of the game, they've struggled to keep some of the the players that they have brought to the club. So yeah. I think there's um, no mistaking the fact that that was a a planned thing to try and get you know some guys who knew each other um, yeah. to the club in the same year, so that you could feel more at home. And and I guess that's probably where you look at your time heading off to boarding school and. And, and being able to get through that And now you're a few years older and, and that that would have held you in good stead Moving up to Brisbane
1: Yeah for sure I, I often look back and, and wonder what would have been If I didn't go to boarding school And even if I hadn't got picked up To Brisbane I think I wouldn't have been Anywhere nearly, nearly as well equipped
0: Yeah.
1: of the situation If I hadn't have, have gone away At 16 years old
0: Yeah it's awesome It's um and to be doing, as you said, to be playing a sport you love with one of your best mates alongside you in the same strip, um, yeah. it's pretty cool. Who did you support as a young fella growing up?
1: I was a Cats man. I, yeah, okay. I was, lived two, two hours away from Geelong, so I wasn't a huge supporter. I just loved watching footy and
0: yeah.
1: I loved watching the good players play. And I was just lucky that I followed the Cats when they went through that really successful period from oh7 mm. to well, to now, really. They're a powerhouse team.
0: And all for one uh, one quarter where they did a number on you the other week, mate. Yeah. <laughs> you beat them in three of the four quarters that game. Yeah. But they've just got that ability, don't they, even still now, you know, to watch, um, you know, obviously a Lions fan here, but to watch that quarter and watch Dangerfield and Ablett and, you know, Tommy Hawkins, you know, some experienced heads there just rip your boys apart for a quarter was... um you know, obviously, I don't want to see it as a Lions fan, but it was amazing to watch those boys in full flight.
1: Yeah. As as much as it hurt at the time, I think it was actually quite good for us to yeah, to experience because that's the level that we've got to get to and our young boys coming through, we've got to be able to sense that moment like they did and and just lift with them, if not over them, in the future. But, yeah, as you said, it was absolutely amazing.
0: Does there, amazing. Is there a bit of you know, on your, your video work or your debrief work after games, which I assume happens, you know, what what was the, what was the overriding tone from, you know, Coach Chris Fagan after that game, um, looking at what happened in that quarter?
1: Yeah, we, well, we touched on exactly what you just touched on then, actually. We, we went through that third quarter and spoke about the moments. Um, obviously, you look at the overall game plan, execution, and see where that fell down. But at the end of the day, I think those big games and those really tough, tight contests come down to the player that's willing to put his head over the ball. Yeah. Longest and, and get the ball going forward. And that's what they did that day or that
0: night. Yeah, absolutely. We, I I spoke about Chris Fagan there just briefly. He's, he's got quite a reputation of being a great coach. I guess my question is twofold. Is that how you see him? Um, hopefully you'll say yes. <laughs> but, uh, and what makes a great coach in your experience of, of growing up down south and then coming up and playing under Chris? What yeah. is it that makes a great coach?
1: Yeah, it's it's a million dollar question. In and I, I haven't had a whole heap of coaches throughout my time, but I think the ones that I've enjoyed having the most are the ones that work out what makes their players tick, yeah. not only on the field, but, but off it as well. Um, and just build that. You, you hear it all the time, um, but building those relationships is, is critical. If, if you don't trust your coach and um, if you don't get along with him, you're just not going to perform or do the things he wants you to do to quite the level that you will if, if you trust him and, and you want to play for him. And I think that's what Fags has done right from the start, he, He's taking a real interest in everyone's off-field lives, um, their personal lives. And I think the other thing is just being able to find a balance between not having too many rules or both with your game plan because you take away people's flair, but, but also with off-field rules and, um, you know, curfews, things like that. I think you've got to give the players a level of responsibility um,
0: because at the end of the
1: day we're the ones out there that are, are performing when it counts and we've got to be able to make our own decisions at all times and, and that can be tough I think for coaches because sometimes it's going to backfire and you're going to have players that, okay. that mess up but you've just got to stick, stick tough with it and that's what Fags does really well I think and it's also something that Zorks as a captain is really, really good at.
0: I think you make a really interesting point there, um, Hugh. Because you are talented. You know the the guys that make make the squad for game day, the twenty two players, are talented individuals as yeah. a part of a as a part of a growing team, and knowing each other's skill sets and you know where to put the football for different players um, is an important part of that. And you're playing together and. You know, as each year goes on, you add – well, this year there's a little less less games. But, you know, normally you're going to add sort of 20 to 25 games a year to your amount of games you've played together as the list stays together. And yep. I, I really like what you said there in that Chris tends to want to find that balance of strict game plan versus let the boys play footy. You know, yep. let them know what they – Let them them understand that, you know, they've got talent. Use it.
1: Yeah, yeah, 100%. You see so many structures and, um, you know, talk of of what a team's doing and how they're doing it. You can get really caught up in that side of it. But at the end of the day, the the goal is to kick goals and and enough points to win a game. And you're not going to be able to do that if, I don't think anyway, if you've got a set structure on, where you've got to kick it and what you've got to do. Obviously in defense, especially you've got to have, yeah, sure. you know, well drill team, but, um, yeah, that's just a given. That's just a given. I think that you've got to have that aspect of it, but on offense, I think the boys get a lot of energy out of just being able to play footy and, and show what they can do.
0: I know with, I know with coaching, um, well, certainly I coach golf, but which is very different, but, uh, but, as a coach in an under sixteen you know pretty good level soccer side, we coach the boys in defense to make the make make the space small and then in attack, we want them to spread the field and make it big. you know is that something that's kind of a pretty simple concept, but is that something that you tend to see happen in AFL is that talked about
1: yeah one hundred percent you you talk well we talk a little bit about the bubble and uh, you, you see, when you see behind the goals footage sometimes on Channel Seven, you'll see everyone at a stoppage in the forward half of the ground, just compressing as much as possible, and that's to do exactly what you just said and make the make the field really small on defence. Um, so I think especially when you take a mark, if you can get your wingers and your outside players to get out and make the ground really big, then it allows for more space in there to be able to move the ball around and kick it and get handball receives and get it going forward. Um, so in, in a basic way that, that is what we talk about. Yeah. Obviously, there's a lot more that goes into it, but. Um, yeah,
0: for sure. And without yeah. giving anything away when you're in those stoppage moments and whether it's a ball up or a, or a throw in from the side, are you using, are you using little code words or, you know, how does, how does big O know where he's hitting the ball?
1: Uh, usually without giving it away, mate. You, yeah, you will have either code words or numbers, anything really, um, which you'll learn. But it's not actually that tricky. There's not that many spots that a ruckman can hit it. Yeah, um, for sure. And most of the time they're busting a boiler just to try and compete with the opposition yeah. and get it front. So, so does yeah, that then
0: mean? Does that then mean that the 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 boys who are playing on ball and in and around those contests are communicating more with each other versus him yep. so you know one's running forwards, one's running backwards one's running on the outside or
1: yeah, so every time um, throughout the week you go through all the what you did well and most of the time you'll have one guy that goes hit to or goes for the ball and then you'll have two guys that are more so there to hold a spot around the stoppage and um yeah, get on their men pretty much and stop them from winning it. Yeah. So and that's, that's a fifty
0: fifty sort of scenario where you you might have your guy win the ball, in which case you're looking to go and be the be the running you know, handball receive. Um, or yeah. if they win the
1: ball that you're hoping to block their their passage out. Exactly right. It, there's not that many you might see two or three clean clearances in a game, like yeah. the two. Rarely even gets it anyway, even though they will communicate to the Ruffin where they want it to be hit. That's one of the big things we speak about is just being on your toes because you don't know where the ball's going to go and that allows you to either pressure up if they win it or or get it going forward and get involved when we do.
0: Now, you may not know this, mate, but I played a game in the QAFL first at the Gabba and it was a curtain raiser for... Uh, the Brisbane Lions Collingwood grand final replay in 2003. Oh, right. um, I, was play- I was playing for Sherwood Magpies um, yeah. at the time. And uh, I remember playing in the middle um, on Blake Carousella. Yeah. And uh, now he's a footballer of great elk, you know, very <laughs> talented. Um, and I was nothing of a footballer. I was just a guy who'd given golf away for a couple of years and was just going to play some footy. Um, yeah. And I remember, I remember the talent, he, what he possessed was just this incredible ability to just know when to give me a little nudge off, yeah. you know, in those centre-bounce scenarios. And then if the ball came to him, I was a metre away now, you know, and yeah. then he's got a metre of clearance to get a hand pass, or get a kick or to run, yeah. you know, and he just made me look like an absolute goose that night. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, little thing- uh, I, I, I see there's a few more. It, it's a bit better out of the centre bounce um, as far as your good clearances, I suppose. You win, you know, because there's
1: less numbers around the ball, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. The, you've probably got a bit more space to work with, especially now that it's 6-6 at, six, six, six at centre bounces. Um, you, can, you can come up with a bit of a set play and each centre bounce, you'll have exactly what you want to do, exactly where your boys are going to run. Um, whereas around the ground, one, you're absolutely buggered before you even get the stoppage. <laughs> you haven't had that time to rest like you do at a centre and bounce. And, and two, you, there's just chaos. like the people everywhere. There's wingers that are behind the stoppage, clogging up. The forwards and backs can push up into the stoppage. It's, there's stuff going on everywhere. So it's yeah. very tough. To you speak through.
0: about being buggered. Um, as the season rolls on, is there much emphasis on the fitness side of things or is that you know in theory done in your pre-season and you've built your fitness base in pre-season and then through the season it's just hang on as long as you can
1: yeah definitely definitely all done during pre-season there's just no time to really build it in-season i feel like once you get to round 1 you are what you are and it's all about recovery from then on in because the games are just too hard you you end up doing well, this year, probably only doing 10, 10 to 12 Ks. But with the normal games, you're doing 12 to 15. And Tuesday, you're usually just doing a recovery session. Then Thursday, you'll have a main training. But that's more skills-based and contest-based. And then you're back into it again. So that's why pre-season is so important to, to build your base, not just for the fitness, but also to prevent injuries as much as possible.
0: So in-season, mate, you're not doing any... Extras, So you're not doing any of your own stuff outside of those specific sessions?
1: No, well, definitely not this year because of our, the protocols. But yeah, always might do a bit of yoga or yeah. a bit of stretching. And in the pre-season, you might do an F45 class or little bits and pieces like that just to change things up. But overall, you've got everything you need in the club. You've got your physios, your masseurs, yeah. um, your doctors, everyone. So you, you, you really do get more than enough help and um, caring at the club.
0: Does gym work still happen through the season or is that a same sort of thing? If guys are looking to put size on, it's got to be done through the pre-season?
1: No, that's probably a little bit different. I think you can put size on during the year, not as much, especially through the legs. Upper body weights, so you can still do pretty normally. Yeah. Through the legs, it'll all depend on what sort of turnaround you have, so yeah. Well, for t- today for instance we've got a five day turnaround so we just do more of a stretching low weight day in yeah. gym for our lower body but if you have a seven or eight day turnaround you might bump the weight up and yeah. Um, but it's pr- more so the strength sessions as well as more so for injury prevention throughout the year making sure you keep your load as normal yeah, sure. as possible so that your body um, stays used to it
0: yeah, and I imagine what guys are doing would depend on where they play on the field as well. So someone like yourself who's a high K you know, a high kilometer um output every game, you know, you're not really wanting to load your legs at all, I can't imagine.
1: Nah, nah, sometimes it's pretty tough to get yourself to do those leg weights. But at the same time you get you get used to it. Um I, I feel like I'd feel pretty similar. To someone that runs two or three less K's because that's just how our bodies are made, and yeah, sure, yeah. yeah, we we all do pretty similar weights, especially during the season, to make sure that we that we can get through um, as well as possible.
0: What about you spoke before about the the skills based sessions that you're doing and. And obviously at the moment, whether you read press or you don't read press or you just look at your games, um, you know, there's a fair bit of chatter about the Lions needing to fix their goal kicking before, uh, if they're going to be a genuine finals contender. um, How much work gets done on that in practice, in training days?
1: A fair bit. Um, Usually you try and finish your drills off with a game like kick a goal, and then you might have a 10-minute section where you do a bit of goal-kicking once or twice a week. And then obviously at the moment, because we're struggling a little bit, we've been going a little bit above and beyond, especially yeah. with certain players. and So to just to work out what works for us. It's, it's such a tough one, though, because I don't think repetition's is the answer with goal-kicking. I think it's being able to get a routine that will work for you under pressure, it, you, everyone goes. Why can't they kick straight? It's it's it looks so easy at at training. Most of us will put them through the big sticks for fun, like yeah, sure, one out of ten. But once you get out there and you've got twenty thousand fans who are all on the edge of their seats, and it's not something you think about when you're running in for goal. But I think for a lot of boys, it's just it's a completely different feeling, and it's something you just got to get used to, and it. I feel like it definitely will take a while um, for some boys. That's the
0: youth of the side, isn't it? But, but also just putting yourself there in the situation over and over and over, you know, game day after game day, after game day. And I think one of the things you mentioned there, which I loved, which, you know, I was pointing to my golf cap that I've got on here was you mentioned the word routine and certainly as a professional golfer, the time spent on our routines You know, when we walk in to hit the golf ball, having the same amount of waggles and the same amount of looks at target and building a, you know, almost stopwatch like routine that, you Mm -hmm. know, it takes you 19 seconds from when you start walking into when you strike the ball. um, That is so critical for us. And certainly under pressure of, you know, playing in big tournaments, that's the only thing that held, you know, held the nerves together, I think, for me. Um, So I reckon that's a huge part of you know of it so it's encouraging to hear that that's a word that came out of your mouth as as routine and just building the routine and trusting it and seeing it happen time and time again in practice and you know and then it'll start to happen time and time again on the real on the on the main field so
1: yeah,
0: yeah it's exciting that's exciting what about this is just a little bit off topic what about the the team I mean, this year's different. I know this year's different with COVID, but generally speaking with your squad of players, do do you get little pockets or little groups? I know there's a bunch of you who play golf, um, you know, in the lines, and and I had four of them out at Nudgee the other week um, having a hit. But, um, you know, is that what it is? The groups get formed sort of through what people's outside interests outside of footy are?
1: Yeah, a little bit. That's probably one of the main... Drivers, that's how I met and got to know a lot of the older boys better through golf. Obviously, you play around, you spend four to five hours with with four boys and um, you you get to know a lot about them in that time, which I really love about the game. But for sure, there's a big group of boys that play PlayStation at the moment. Is there?
0: What do they uh, play, mate? What's the game
1: of choice? uh, They're playing Call of Duty at the moment. Are they? which, Which is... Um, Are you involved in this? Yeah, oh, i jump on every now and then. But you, <laughs> use your, you use your headsets and you speak to each other. So that's yeah. another being social without actually being out. Yeah. Going to people's houses or whatnot. And um, groups form in all sorts of ways. There's boys that love going out camping and fishing. Um, in, in saying that, though, I think we'd have one of the tightest groups because every, yeah, right. a lot of people have moved away from home. Yeah. So we'll, we'll have dinners and stuff in the past where you get 20, 30, 40 boys that all go along and enjoy yeah, each other. something. There's no real clicks, which I've absolutely loved about the club. Um, yeah, it's been pretty impressive for mine to see how everyone just gets along so well and yeah, there's no judgment.
0: Has Mitch Robbo been a bit of, bit of a leader of that sort of stuff? Yeah, yeah,
1: a little bit, a little bit. We've got a lot of unique characters, which <laughs> pro- probably just uh, means that that sort of culture comes on. Everyone's accepted for who they are, and yeah, um, I love it. I I love getting to work each day, and I'm in a locker next to Mitch, and I'd say in everyday life we probably wouldn't run across each other and <laughs> become mates, but because we're next to each other. Um, we've we've formed a really tight bond, and as I have with nearly all of us, yeah,
0: mate. You certainly went into bat for him on the weekend when he got poleaxed by that muppet <laughs> from the Magpies, um, and uh, probably had to pay a bit of a fine. Did you? I, I don't know if you were on that list, but
1: yeah, a few boys form.
0: copped a fine,
1: unlike me. I, I sort of looked around, and when he got bowled over, I was like, he's no one else seems to be going here, so it must be my turn. <laughs> it, was all, it was all good fun. Got to fly the flag.
0: Mate, you have to. You've got to look after your mate, right? Yeah, exactly. So, right. Uh, that's awesome. Um, now, what else have I got here? One of the things I wanted to ask you, um, and this is a personal personal thing for, for game days for you, so thinking about it from, a, uh, I guess, a full routine of, night before into a game and then game day structure for you what are your key performance indicators or your kpis that you know you need to get right pre-game and then how does that flow onto the field do you have a does chris fagan give you a list of things and says okay here these are the things that i'm looking for you to tick the box with today or you know these or do you just have your own set of Things that suggest, okay, well, if I can do these things, I know I'm, I know I'm doing my job for the team, and you know, um, that's as much as I can really do individually.
1: Yeah, I think as your career goes on, you learn different things that work for you pre-game um, with your routine, but it's something that I don't think you ever quite settle on. I'm, I'm not big on the having to do something or yeah. Have- my socks like this or anything like that not superstitious changes yeah not superstitious um, but
0: what about food intake and dietary stuff do you, yeah. have you found a little sort of niche balance there
1: yeah those things are go without saying I think of, you, you've got to have your hydration up two to three games uh, days before a game um, at a really high level just because that's one thing I've learned it's not just the day before it's two, three, four days before getting your, yep. your right food in. I'm um, just having good meals. I'm not extra strict on anything. I just like to have meat and veg and fruit like the rest of the population um, yeah. recommended to. And then on field, the coaches give you a clear plan every week and it doesn't really change, which is another thing that is part of a good coaching system is having a simple yeah. way. That, um, so as a club, we have... Well, at the start of each year we write down our weapons as a player and our, our growths and a lot of the time you find yourself just going back and judging your game on that. So I'll go into a game and I'll be thinking of a wep- of my weapon which is which is probably um impacting when I have the ball and and if I can do that well then I know I can help the team um win and then you'll probably judge yourself on your growths as well. So for mine it might be Getting getting enough tackles or um, the defensive side of my game, and if you can tick those two things off, then you've played a, a handy game.
0: And do those things evolve or change throughout your year? As you know, as something that might have been a growth area for you, you've really, you know, almost turned it into a weapon.
1: Yeah, so definitely. Do you look
0: as, for something else then.
1: As you know, you're always you're always looking for things to change. Um, Golf's a perfect example of it. You you have a bad day and you can sometimes find yourself searching for things to change. So you've got to try and stop yourself from doing that. But for sure, I mean, at the start of my career, my growth was just to put on weight and uh, get my tackling numbers up. And I feel like now I'm I'm at a level where that's um, constant. So you might move on to to different things. One might now be to get inside and have more of an impact with my clearance work or, Yeah, sure. Or or something like that. Um, So, yeah, they definitely evolve like all goals in life do. You you reach goals and then you just keep setting the bar higher and trying to add in things. And I think that's what the best players in the game have the ability to do. It's do all different sorts of things, play inside, play outside, kick goals, um, play different positions. So I'm always trying to add different um, strings to my bow or bows to my string.
0: absolutely well it you know from a financial perspective that helps too right so when you're looking at renewing contracts and all the rest of it if you've got more arrows in the quiver um, like you say it's uh, yeah certainly you've got more dollars to be to be commanding I think the interesting thing you spoke about before with Chris Fagan giving you guys you know the license to be yourselves as individuals that really flows over into what you've just said you know, in that if, if he's helping players to assess weapons and growth areas at the start of the year, um, week by week, it, it, it kind of doesn't really matter what opponent you're playing from that perspective. You've still got to go out there and use your weapons and work on your growth areas and your 1% areas to, to improve.
1: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. You, your game plan and your individual areas might change the slightest bit depending yeah. on who you're playing like as a wingman, one team might play their wingers a lot wider. So your defensive um, focus might be just to stay with them a little bit more or or something like that. Um, so they might change a little bit. But at the end of the day, no matter who you play, it, it's about your team. And um, if we execute how we want to execute and play the game that we want to play, we're confident that we can beat anyone on a day. And I think that's how it's got to be.
0: <clears throat> yeah, I certainly agree with you. If if you if everyone's producing their, you know, they've got their cannons blazing and their weapons are firing, it's a pretty devastating uh, looking Brisbane Lions side. So I certainly hope they go deep into the finals, mate. That's for sure. Um, what about what about end of year? review time I've never talked about this with anyone so when you come to the end of the year how does that play out as far as you know um, you you might get knocked out of the finals you might win the grand final but there's still got to be an end of year review of some sort I'd imagine at the club um, with Chris Fagan and does it does it become a one-on-one scenario where
1: he pulls everyone in individually yeah you do a one-on-one review with Fags and the coaches that are most close to you and what you do so your line coach yeah. your development coach as well. And then you also have a whole team review and it all just goes back to those goals that you set at the start of the year, how you went with them, how you performed each week. Um, we've only, I've only had three, well, I've been at the club for three years now, so I've had three reviews, but one thing that he's strong on is looking to the future and how you can keep improving no matter whether you've had a good year or a poor year. Um, so it quickly moves to, right, I, what can I do during the preseason, and what can the team do during the preseason to improve in areas that we need to improve in and keep getting better at the areas that we're already strung at and individually, it's exactly the same.
0: I guess when you think about where the lines have come over the last few years since Chris has arrived, it's project, projecting north, isn't it? You know, like it's going up and up and up every year and that's... Uh, maybe next time someone you ask, someone asks you what makes a good coach, you've, you've just answered a few of those, answered it with the way you've spoken there about, you know, just the review process and challenging the players. So, okay, well, how do we be better again? How do we be better again? How do we be better as a, as a coaching group and as a management group and as a, you know, player welfare group? And, mm-hmm. you know, so I imagine that's a big part of it as well, um, the player welfare side of things. And I imagine Brisbane Lions have got a player welfare well, at least one staff, but probably
1: more than one. Yeah. Yeah, we've got a welfare team that work really closely with us. Um, it's a massive part of it now, especially having to move away from home and, and starting sure. at such most kids, making sure that your mental state is is there because you're not going to perform and you're not going to live a happy life if you're not enjoying your time off the field. So definitely a massive, massive thing for us. And um, we've got a boy called Andrew Crowley who heads up that that area and he's really good at what he does and we've got a um, psychologist we've got people that can refer you to to get more help if needed so there's there's lots of different uh, assets there and things or well, people that we can use if if we're not quite feeling uh, mentally as well as we could
0: has that changed at all over the time you've been at the lines because I imagine with the introduction of Social media and how readily available it is for me to pick up my mobile phone right now and you know um, type something into Twitter that's you know humour cloggages that you know can't kick for peanuts or whatever right you know but anyone can do that now right any any person with a mobile phone can be putting something into the Twitter sphere or you know for social media and you know for young players to see you know negative. I guess, negative verbatim about themselves on a regular basis through disgruntled fans or unhappy fans. I imagine the Brisbane Broncos players are going through that at the moment, you know, with, with the difficult time that they've had this year. Do you think that the player welfare side of things has become even more important in the last few years with that introduction of such readily available social media?
1: Yeah, definitely. We've always had a pretty strong group or since I've been here we've always had great support but I think as you get better as well you get more people watching and yep. during the COVID period I've definitely noticed that and we've seen it a little bit that there's a, there's more people with nothing to do so they might put on a bet yeah. and, and be flat that that didn't come through and then that causes them to send a message to players who they might not think read it or they might not think run the accounts yeah. but a lot of them definitely do and a lot of the time if one of the players sends something back the person that sent that would go, oh, I'm so sorry. I, I sort of just thought I was sending it to no one, which, um, yeah. which is tough for the players to deal with. But we have a lot of sessions where we will talk about that. And at the end of the day, it's just all part and parcel with being an athlete. You've got to take the good with the bad. And when you're going well, you, you got lots of support and um, lots of love. And when you're going bad, you're always going to have people that are upset with how you're going. But, um, if you just listen to the people that are close to you and that really matter, then I'm sure, I'm sure you'd be right. It's just making sure that the boys all understand that. And that's what the wellbeing staff do really well.
0: It's great advice for the young players that might be listening into this podcast. And, you know, I know that that happens because dad's messaged me saying, you know, that they were driving along with their son listening to the podcast. And so I know that it happens and it's great advice for those young kids coming up and, and having to live through this society that we've got at the moment in that, you know, the, um, the ones close to you in and around you, your loved ones, your family, um, you know, those are the people that, you know, would never, you know, send those sorts of messages to you and you've got to stay tight with those people. And I think the betting thing's an interesting point you made there. I hadn't ever thought about that, but you know, people Mm. making bets on sport and, and, you know, someone missing a goal in the, dying stages to win a, a bet for somebody I'd never thought about that you know I, I know I've had a conversation with a guy in the Australian Masters when he told me he'd put money on me Then come on Matty I've put money in you and and I turned around and I said how much he said oh 20 bucks and I said oh mate I don't do anything for less than $100 $100 <laughs> bet so <laughs> and we both had a bit of a laugh but yeah it's um the betting the sports betting has become such a massive industry nowadays too hasn't it and and i think you're right with more people sitting around at home i reckon probably more people are putting bets
1: on than than maybe have before yeah definitely it's yeah it's it's all part of it i'm i'm not a massive no um, me either <laughs> to be honest but it is what it is and yeah people are people aren't having much to do and jumping on and there's so many different things you can bet on now with footy and it, a lot of it is about the individual player and um, it does end up putting more stress on players I think at times because yeah as much as a lot of us don't think about it, there'll be people that are like gee, yeah person down or um, yeah, yeah and sure. like that but yeah look it's it's a big revenue maker for footy one of our sponsors is is Ned's, and they they do a lot of great stuff for us. Um, mm. so yeah there's there's lots of positives to it as well but people just have to be careful that they do it responsibly I think
0: yep, absolutely great advice again now mate let's um, wrap this up with a little bit of discussion about where you feel the club's at as in position moving in the last three games I think you've got three to go um, before finals so how does the how the team feel about it you know when do you start talking about it and um you know what does it look like for you for the rest of the year? Um, you know, week by week, it just stays the same, and, and you just keep going until you until you either lift the trophy or you you're knocked out.
1: Yeah, we're really excited about what's to come. Hopefully, another chance to play finals and um, get that experience. We'd, you can't look too far ahead. I, I mean, yeah, we're sure. all about the game being at the Gabba and, and whatnot, you can. Find yourself putting a bit of pressure on yeah on yourself and on your team. I could imagine to to perform, but we've never been like that. We've been about doing what we can do and controlling what we can control. And that's the next next game, which is Wednesday night against the Gold Coast, and and the two games after that. And then we have a bye before finals, where we can we can think about that and start turning our focus. But at the moment, it's just about winning the next games. Does it feel
0: like a bye? a week out from finals is a good thing or a bad thing not a bad thing but you know would you like to be just continuing to play footy or is it good to give the boys a bodies a bit of a rest and you know it's a perfect little you know you know it gives guys like Harris Andrews an extra week doesn't it so
1: yeah I'm I'm not too strong on either side of the argument I yeah I think there's positives and negatives to both you like you said you give people a chance to come back from injury and get themselves right, which is huge. But at the same time, you sometimes you probably do think, yeah, I'd like to just keep going, especially if your team's in form. Or, yeah. Or if you're having a good run, um, yeah, it's probably just a, a year-by-year case study on what teams yeah. would, <laughs> yeah, would like. Absolutely. What... This just
0: popped in my head when you were talking about that year-by-year. Where do you, do you see yourself being a one club man, mate? Or you know, would you entertain going back down south to play footy down south and be closer to home?
1: Now, I um, I look at it and and think it'd be brilliant to to stay at the same club and um, play out your career there. I look at all the guys that played during the successful period at the Lions, um, your Blacks, your Vosters, and and Brownies, and all those guys that. Spent the whole time up here, and and we're loyal, and I see that as a big um, trade or something that I I pride myself in. Yeah, is that loyalty and and enjoying spending time with the same people. So yeah, if if it is possible, obviously things happen, and you yeah, never really sure. know. You never really know. Um, at the end of the day, it's a business, and it's your career, it's your job. You might have to, you might have to move against your wheel or yeah, for Situations sure. might come up, but I'm absolutely loving it up here and um, couldn't picture myself anywhere else at the moment.
0: It's not a bad place to live, mate. That's for sure. Yeah. It's not bad. Not a bad winter, is it?
1: Oh, it's beautiful. <laughs> that's what all the boys from Vic are saying after the games, they're saying it's just, just so nice.
0: <laughs> it is indeed. Now, mate, I've got one final question for you and I, I, I thank you, uh, so much for your time tonight but um, this final question i ask everyone who comes on the on the hard yards podcast and it is if you could be any any sportsman either past or present for one day and live their live in their shoes for a day and be that person at the peak of their powers who would it be uh
1: it had 100% be tiger woods I 100%. knew you were going to be a Tiger Woods.
0: I've got a nice little tally here with Tiger Woods people on it. Um, why why Tiger, mate? I know you love your golf. So, you know, that's obviously a big part of it. But um, why Tiger Woods, not someone like a Greg Norman or, yeah, you know,
1: one of the Aussie superstars for a day? Yeah. I think just his sheer dominance and... Yeah. Uh, Celebrity status would just be awesome to experience. I don't think I'd like it for very long, but to see what he goes through in a day and how he deals with the pressure of that, I think would just be an unbelievable experience. He, Well, he's probably like, un- or unlike anything or anyone that's ever played the game, the, the crowds he draws and the way he plays it is just spectacular. And To be able to see how he does it and what it feels like would be pretty awesome, I reckon.
0: Absolutely, and without question, his his status and his uh, yeah his standing within the game and 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 how popular he made the sport again during yeah. his dominant period has fed pro golfers' pockets around the world. You yeah. know, because more people came and there was more money. You know, the and pro- it got bigger and bigger.
1: Just crazy. Like I was talking to one of the boys. I reckon. Dustin Johnson this week's made 1415 mil with his win at in the FedEx and you know, I doubt that would have been the case if it wasn't for Tiger and what he's done.
0: Definitely not, you know. So it's um yeah, it's enormous and you know Tiger's got this uh, superannuation. I guess that the PGA Tour pays and um, based on winnings you you get you know X amount of years. I think you've got to have played X amount of years on tour and then they uh, start paying you out your super. And if they paid Tiger Woods out tomorrow, what he's owed, the tour would be under, underground. <laughs> so he's, um, yeah, he'll, he'll never have to, he never has to do it again. But I think yeah. it's cool that he's he's playing and he's back playing and he's back being competitive again. And, um, you know, the Masters is going to be defending champ at the Masters, you know, you know when yeah. the Masters happens, you know, albeit in a different season and a different time of year. So it's going to be fascinating to watch the Masters in in cold weather and yeah. what they'll do with the golf course. But, um, mate, you're yeah. in a long list of guys who've said Tiger Woods, that's for sure. Ben icon was, uh, Ben was, I'd like to be Tiger of the day. He won the Masters in his comeback Masters win. So, yeah, there's lots on the list. Hugh, thanks so much for your time, mate. And I wish you and all the boys at the Brisbane Lions, obviously, all the very best for the remaining three matches, and then your nice little uh, refresher before you get into some finals footy. And mate, as a Lions fan, I certainly hope we watch you uh, playing a grand final at the Lions and lifting that cup for the fourth time for the club. So um, it'd be awesome. And wish you and all the boys all the very best. And thanks again for coming on the hard yards.
1: No worries. Thanks very much.